Oh, you did good, Chad. That's just the way I wrote it up when we practiced it, didn't <laughs> We're going to get into some heavy-duty stuff, so I thought we ought to start out lightly. There's a professor at our Dallas Seminary by the name of Toussaint, one of the bygone years, a, a beloved professor, and he he collected a bunch of parrot jokes. And so I want to share with you one of my favorites, and we'll start out lightly. It was about a musician and that, that used to practice making things disappear. And he had this parrot, and he taught it to walk, to talk, and uh, the problem he had was he would have him on stage with him, and he would uh, make something disappear, and the parrot would say, it's up his sleeve, it's up his sleeve. And he'd have another, another disappearing act, and, and the parrot would say, it's in his pocket, it's in his pocket. And then uh, he would do another one, and he'd say, it's under the table, it's under the table. He was so good at his uh, act that he was invited to go on a cruise and do his act on the cruise. And, of course, he took his parrot with him. And he was up on stage with him, and of course, when he started out, he started making things disappear, and the parrot said, he's got it up his sleeve, it's under the table, it's in his pocket. But th- that particular night, the boiler on this ship overheated and exploded and blew that ship to a million different pieces, and the magician found himself floating on a bit of debris with his his parrot on his shoulder, and he says, uh, nothing. Three days they floated. Wasn't anything around. Finally, on the third day, the parrot said, I give up. What did you do with the ship? (laughs) Enough of that nonsense. Turn with me to the uh, 34th chapter of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 34, I want to start in verse 1 of that chapter and read a portion of it. I'm reading out of the NIV, so if you're using a pew Bible, you may not be able to follow me, but this is a very familiar portion of Scripture, so I think we can, we can do well. Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead to Dan, all of Naphtali, the territory of Ephraim and Manasseh, and the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev, and the whole region from the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. And then the Lord said to him, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you will not cross over into it. And Moses, a servant of the Lord, died there in Moab as the Lord had said, and he buried him in Moab in the valley of opposite Bethpur, but to this day, no one knows where his grave is. 
You know, if you think about it a little bit, uh, Moses really would have been content to stay out as a shepherd for the rest of his life. <laughs> he, he didn't want a stressful confrontation with the Pharaoh. Uh, he didn't want to volunteer for a crisis at the Red Sea or even to look back. <laughs> he, he didn't want to lead some people that were constantly saying, I want to go back to Egypt. But nevertheless, God had called him to do just that. Now, I'll grant you, he blew it once. Uh, if you remember, now let me just quickly remind you that there were two water crises in Moses' life. The first one right after they were across the Red Sea, and the, the other one was way later in his life. And they had just moved into what was called the Desert of Sin. And Miriam, his wife, dies right after they arrive there. Now, would you think that maybe the, maybe these people would give him a little sympathy, a little empathy? No, no. There wasn't water there. And they began to complain there wasn't any water. And he calls out to God and God tells him, okay, gather the people around a stone and simply speak to that stone and their water will gush out, and you will have all you need. <laughs> I can picture Moses gathering people around, and they're probably still moaning and belly aching about their no f- water, and I could just feel his stress. And he's supposed to simply speak to that stone, but he just loses it, and he slams it with his rod, and out comes the water. But... God had told him exactly how he was supposed to do that. And because the Lord says, called him aside and said, You uh, did not trust me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring his community into the land I have given them. And so he is offering a no to Moses. Now, I, I guess we could say there's a, there's a question that, that leaps off the page when you start looking at this. It's a question that all of us at some time in our life, we'll have wrestled with. Some of you are wrestling with the question now. Some of you will have maybe just got done only dealing with it, and some of you will have one in the future. And the question that leaps off the page here is what do you do when God says no? <laughs> I'm kind of partial to the old King James. The old King James is a little more eloquent in that whole thing. It says, I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go thither. No, you're not going over there. You're going to stay right where you are. And he lays him to rest. Now, I want to share today four 
basic truths about dealing with the question, what do we do when God says no? I don't have a fancy thing up here. I don't have a handout. But I do want to burn into your lives four things that you can use to deal with when God says no. I want it to burn so much that no matter where you are in the midst of dealing with a no, in the back of your mind you have some pegs upon which you have laid or hung the four things I want to share with you today. Now maybe I ought to precede that a little bit with a little bit of my background. In the mid-70s, I was pastoring a church in Norman, Oklahoma. I was fresh out of seminary, uh, and I was so smart, I knew it all, you know. Um, At that time, Chad was about three or four, his brother's one year older than him. And I was doing a series on family relations. And... I know it was good stuff because I was just repeating what Howard Hendricks had taught us in seminary, and I know it was good stuff. <laughs> we had a a dermatologist in our church there. His name was Bob Sullivan. Tall, stately-looking man, had a sort of a gravel voice. And he and Pat, his wife, had four kids, ranging all the way to from preteen to post-teen, and after one of my sermons, uh, we call him affectionately Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob pulls me aside and he says to me, you got to remember, this is the mid-70s. In those days, you could take a quarter and put it in a phone booth and make a phone call. So you got to remember the time. We didn't know what a, a iPhone was in those days. But anyway, he calls me and says, Lyle, this is really good. But let me give you a quarter and call me in ten years. Now what he was lovingly saying to me, uh, what you're saying is good, but you've never lived it. And he was dealing with four kids in their teens. Now I tell you that story because... What I have to share with you today are four basic things that over 40 years, Ruth Ann and I have had to live, learn, and apply in our lives. So we have lived it. Now don't misunderstand me. There's nothing that turns me off more than a preacher that gets up and preaches down to people as if he has arrived there and he, you better get it like he has. I'm simply saying we have lived it and are living it. And I simply want to share with you some of the basic things that we have learned. Okay. Principle number one that I take. Even the word no is an expression of God's loving concern or care for us. Even the word no is an expression of God's love for us. 
I guess I'd have to say that that particular uh, no is a is a no that <laughs> we all have to deal with. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews uh, tells us that. He's really quoting Proverbs 3, but the writer of Hebrews says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. (laughs) And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, If God hasn't punished you for something, sometime in your life you maybe ought to look at your life and make sure you're a son, because he... He disciplines those he loves. So the first principle is that God says no to us sometimes because we need to hear the no. Now the question, of course, we need to deal with is what is the no all about? What do I need to look at in my life? It may be... uh, something that uh, God needs to deal with. <laughs> I love the story about the, uh, the old fellow in his life who was a, a tourist in, in Italy. And the tour guide had brought them over to uh, view the leaning tower of Pisa. And he looked at it a little bit. And he said to his wife, Pisa, Pisa. That's not the name of the guy that built our garage, but it looks like his his work. Sometimes our our lives are leaning a little in the wrong direction, and God has to correct us, and He has to say no to us in order to get our attention. And our responsibility is to try to understand and look at our life as to what is it that God is saying no to? Why? What is what is it that I need to correct? Let me illustrate it this way, and I'm going to use a lot of family illustrations, so you just get ready for it. Um, when Chad and Lance were little kids, we had a, a way in which we would say no to them. We tried to make our no as clear as we could to them, and the first thing that we tried to always do, and that was to make our first no the last no. Those of you who had kids, you know, if you ate a no number three or four, by that time you're already angry. So we tried to make our first no the last no. And then we would try to tell them exactly what they had done wrong so that when we punished them, they understood why they are being uh, okay, we did believe in spanking, so if you're uh, not in that line, then you can kind of apply it however you want to. But after we got done spanking them or punishing them, it may have been something else, we tried to uh, give them some love and have them repeat back to us what it was that they were being spanked for. So that we tell them to begin... Uh, administer whatever punishment was appropriate and then love them afterwards and have them repeat why. Now I'm telling you that story because I think 
when God is saying no to us, and it is a no that He's trying to straighten our lives up, and we're leaning in the wrong directions, our responsibility is to identify what it is that God is saying no to and why, and then take care of it uh, by way of repentance. So the first no, or the first principle of no, is even the word no is an expression of God's love. Number two, sometimes God's no is for our protection. I love the story of the guy who was driving up Mount, a very narrow mountain road. And he was about to get to a curve. And lo and behold, there was another car came from the other direction, around the corner, almost ran him off the road. And as he went by him, he hollered out the window, Pig! Pig! That made that man so mad, he rolled down his window. He said, Sow! Sow! And he went around the corner and ran into a pig. (laughs) Sometimes God is trying to keep us from running into pigs. He's trying to protect us for something that we need to be protected from, the same way we protect our children by saying, no, don't touch that hot stove. It is for our protection. So first of all, the word no is an expression of God's love. Secondly, it can be as as a word of protection for us. The third thing I wanted to share was, when God says no, it's because he has a better idea. It's because he has a better idea. I, I had this picture in my mind of, of Moses maybe convincing God, uh, oh, Lord, let me just go over and at least touch the soil over there. And I had this picture of God saying, oh, okay. <laughs> so, but he would say, now remember Moses, You've already t- passed the baton of leadership to Joshua. If you get, when you get over there, you, you stay out of his business. Put your tent clear out on the outer skirts of the, where you're, uh, where you're staying. And God, you remember, had a specific thing that he's saying to Joshua about how to deal with Jericho. You remember? Six times around Jericho. And, and then on the seventh day, go around seven times and then shout and, and blow the horns and, and, and uh, Jericho will be yours. <laughs> and I can see Joshua calling his generals together and he's explaining to them this strategy that God had given him. Six days around, seven days, seven times around and the generals are rolling their eyes thinking, you got to be kidding me. And I could just picture them running out of Joshua's tent over to Moses' tent and saying to Moses, Moses, you are not going to believe what Joshua's uh, plan is for Jericho. Now, God kept him on the other side, put him to bed in his own grave because God had a better idea. You needed one man in charge, not two at the time, I guess one of the wisest things that the uh, Allies did during the Second World War was to put Eisenhower in charge of the whole European theater because they needed to have one man making the final decision. 
Sometimes God says no because he has a, a better idea. I want to share another personal illustration and I give you a little bit of an idea why I feel strongly about this. In the late 60s, I felt the call of God to full-time Christian ministry. And uh, I, had a, I had a desire to go to seminary. I, I didn't know Genesis from Revelation at that point. And, uh, I was teaching school down in a little town just outside of uh, where Fort Sale is by the name of Cash, Oklahoma. And it was close to a the tallest mountain in Oklahoma. Now, uh, 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 somebody from Colorado would say, no, that's just a pile of rocks. But anyway, for Oklahoma, it's a big deal. And it was a wonderful place to to climb. So one night I spent uh, uh, the better part of a moonlight night just climbing on that mountain and, and asking God about going to seminary. And I walked away from that climbing experience with a definite no from God. So we applied for Campus Crusade for Christ, and we were accepted, and we raised most of our support, and we went uh, new uh, staff training. But before we could get to our assignment, I got a letter in the mail that said to me, Lyle, you're going to spend a couple of years with Uncle Sam. And in a few weeks, I found myself in the Army, and a few weeks later, I was in the jungles of Vietnam with the burning question, God, why? What am I doing here? I gave my life to you, and I end up here, and I was wrestling with this question. Well, long story short, I survived Vietnam, came back, finished my tour of uh, duty, and I was, I was in my pastor's office. Uh, he had become my mentor at that time I was running from God <laughs> his name's Don Don looks at me and says Lyle don't you think you need to go to seminary and he wasn't, wasn't one that would take no for an answer or listen to any of my excuses next thing I know he loaded Ruth Ann and I up and we went off to Dallas seminary and parked in the parking lot I had my application filled out he said here you wait here he went into the academic dean's office, who, by the way, was a personal friend of his. And I, 30 minutes later, he walked out with a signed acceptance slip for Dallas Theological Seminary. And the next thing I know, I'm in Dallas, Texas, going to seminary, which is what I had prayed for three years earlier. You know, God had a better idea. You want to know why? For four years, I was able to draw on the GI Bill to help with our finances. That's three, four hundred dollars a month, which doesn't sound like much now, but in those days, early 70s, that was, some, that was good money. But I figured out, adding it all up, in those four years, I drew over $10,000 through the GI Bill. How long do you think it would have taken me to have worked and saved $10,000 to supplement my income going to seminary. God had a better idea. I might add, I'm still 
being blessed because of that two years to this very day. So my point is simply this. Sometimes God says no because he has a better idea. I think um, Helen Keller was credited with this uh, God never closed the door without opening a window. And the idea is that window, if God closes the door, that window is a better idea. And we need to remember that. So if you're in the midst of a no, it may be God has a better idea for your life. Okay, first, no is an expression of God's love. Secondly, it is for our protection. And thirdly, it's because sometimes he has a better idea. Now, there's one other that I want to leave with you, and this is probably the hardest, I think, for us to to wrestle with. I don't know exactly how to say this other than that, that sometimes God says no to us to get us to simply rest in the freedom of God's sovereign will. Let me say a little different. Sometimes God says no for us to consider how powerful His sovereign wills and we simply need to rest in Him and say it's the Lord and wait on Him. Now, I again, I'll give you another personal illustration. And uh, since I'm new to Dubuque and new to, to all of you, you ought to know our story of coming to Dubuque. Uh, we had been praying and thinking about, uh, well, I guess I should say Chad and Stephanie have been bugging us for several years to move closer to them. And... Uh, uh, our oldest son lives in California and lives in Long Beach. Well, there's no way we're going to move to California and live in Long Beach. So Dubuque was the place to go. <clears throat> now, we, what really brought this to our, our point of saying we got we got to get serious about this was during COVID, I came down with COVID. I had a fairly mild case of it, but I was down for three days. And we suddenly began to think, because of our age and our health, that we needed to think seriously about coming up here. So it was a year ago, about this time, I drove up to uh, see what kind of living conditions there were here that would be available for us. I looked at the uh, retirement homes, and those were too expensive. There's no way we could afford them. And so we kind of were thinking about a house. Now, I'll admittedly... Uh, the kind of house we were looking for was pretty narrow. We wanted to downsize. We wanted a small yard, a enclosed garage. It had to be single story because Ruth Ann has problems with steps. Uh, we wanted it to be two baths and two bedrooms. Uh, we really wanted it to be fairly close to... to uh, Chad and Stephanie's house. Well, in looking, we couldn't find anything that was even close to that. 
with one exception, and that was a developer who was developing some uh, houses with a target of people like us who wanted to downsize. And uh, the problem they had was that by their admission, they were fussing with the city over the, the, where the entrance, the official entrance was going to be. And they said it's going to be a year before we can even start moving dirt. And uh, that was a year ago. And uh, we, uh, we decided at that point, God is saying no now. Let's just rest in God's sovereign will for us. That was a year ago. That was in August, September. Stephanie was driving to work one day in September. And she drives by a house, not too far from their house, and she looks at says, that looks like that has some possibilities. She pulled it up on the web and then sent us the pictures of the house. That was on a Thursday. And she said, there's going to be an open house in this thing Sunday. I said to her, see if you can see that house before Sunday. And so they did a video walkthrough of this house. That, and, and, and as they were doing the video walkthrough, we were checking off boxes. All one level. Small yard, enclosed garage, two two, five minutes from from uh, uh, Chad and Stephanie. I said, "Hey, tell the realtor we want to make an offer." And by the end of the week, we had bought a house unseen. But that was in September. By October, the twenty third, we were here. Now, I'm telling you that story because we had just, just said, okay, Lord, it, you're, you're sovereign. There's nothing that we can do at this point. We just simply want to wait on you. And God said, oh, no, I got a nice thing for you. Just trust me. I think that's one of the hardest no's that we can, we can deal with. The no when God says, simply trust me. And I will take care. I'm sovereign. <laughs> Sometimes we think we we got a handle on the Lord, but uh, God's sovereign. In the long run, we don't know, and we're not in charge. Okay, let me re- say those four again, because you, sometime in your life, either now or sometime in the future, some of you may have just got done going through a no. First principle is even the word no from God is an expression of his love for you sometimes his no is for our own protection sometimes his no is he has a better idea and sometimes his no is simply wait on me and trust me I am sovereign now before we go any further, there are two basic things that you have to wrap your mind and your heart around. Otherwise, all that I've told you today will mean nothing. The basis 
or the foundation of everything I have said is that God loves you and God is good. If you can't wrap your mind and heart around that truth, all the no's that you receive from God will cause you to be angry and resentful and you will wrestle with a bitterness the rest of your life if you can't, first of all, say, God is good, God loves me, and He has a reason for saying no to me. And I have given you four reasons for you to remember. I want you to burn that into your heart because they're going to happen to you. Either now or sometime in the future. I'd like for you to take that thought that I've given you those four, put it on a peg in the back of your mind. And when you're in the midst of it, take it off and wrap yourself in the truth that God loves you and He is good. Pray with me, if you will. Father, I know that in this room there are some who are going through a no that you have given to them. And I would ask you to clarify for them which no it's all about. There are some in this room right now, Lord, that are going to have a no right around the corner. Pray that they can also wrap their minds and heart around that you love them and that you are a good God and that there is a reason for that no. And most of all, Lord, help me not to just preach it, but to live it. In your name we pray. Amen.